I'm Bert Cohen. Thank you for joining us. Keeping Democracy Alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we're seeing is a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. And last time I checked, dignity requires some degree of freedom over one's life. And one of the defining attributes of authoritarianism is the absence of a free press. Fascist dictators insist a free press is an enemy of the people. As was said in that popular movie, a few good men, they can't handle the truth. That's because the truth shall set you free. As Thomas Jefferson said, education is necessary for a democracy to survive. And authoritarians therefore hate education and an informed public. As compared to a fascist government, a republican system, an open and free society, will defend a truly free press, even if times it may offend people. In such a society, journalists hold a particular place. In a democratic republic, media sources serve as repositories of information for people from all walks of life. The recent rise of anti-journalist rhetoric is a serious threat to the very fabric of our democracy. Because of their extreme importance, our founders placed these freedoms at the very first amendment. A press or speech that obediently parrots the dictates of a ruler is the antithesis of the vision of our founders. Speech and published words must, by definition, often be offensive to the powers that be. Otherwise, there would no need, be no need for the protections afforded by our Constitution. Whistleblowers are both a great American tradition and are people who put themselves at great personal risks. Dan Ellsberg, Edward Snowden, Karen Silkwood, Aaron Brockovich, are just a few well-known, either heroic or infamous whistleblowers, depending on your point of view. One of the latest and most well-known and often reviled is Julian Assange, highly controversial founder of WikiLeaks. After years of refuge in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, the new government in Quito has signaled it may bow to the intense pressure of the American government and eject him to face whatever he would face in the United States where he is a wanted man. Our guest today maintains that Assange's fate is deeply tied to the fate of journalism itself in this land of the free and home of the brave. Professor Lawrence Davidson's new article in the journal Counterpunch discusses, uh, which we will discuss, is titled Julian Assange and the Fate of Journalism. Lawrence Davidson, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Lawrence Davidson is a retired professor of history from Westchester University in Westchester, PA. 
His academic research focused on the history of American foreign relations with the Middle East. That would be interesting. He taught courses in the Middle East history, the history of science, and modern European intellectual history. His years at Georgetown... Uh, 68 to 1970, coincided with the height of the Vietnam War, and Davidson became one of the founding members of the Students for a Democratic Society at Georgetown. Davidson managed to both strongly agitate against the Vietnam War and complete his M.A. during these years. That is impressive. He has written many, many nonfiction books. Lawrence Davidson's evolving career as a public intellectual has been devoted to presenting the above critique to the public in a way that can best promote Citizen awareness. What a concept, citizen awareness. Julian Assange, of course, is highly controversial, being a fallible human. I suspect he's part hero and maybe part villain. Many wonder if his revelations, as provided through WikiLeaks, may have endangered the lives of people who work in foreign service. Let's start by looking at what WikiLeaks is and is not. Uh, Lawrence Davidson, you write that essentially WikiLeaks functions as a wholesale supplier of evidence, end of quote. What is WikiLeaks? How does it compare to th- things yeah, like the it, Washington Post and the Boston Globe? That's really what it does. There is no real evidence that any of this uh, activity and in, in that this wholesaling of evidence resulted in the death of you know undercover agents or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's largely propaganda. However, WikiLeaks and Assange are dedicated to the concept, to the concept that uh, the public has a right to know what its government is doing. And many people in uh, government, um, particularly in the, in the diplomatic corps and uh, the intelligence areas, um, are convinced um, that that you can't have successful uh those those aspects of government can't be successful except if they're done clandestinely or aspects of them are done clandestinely so you have a sort of a a, a difference of, of of concepts of how governments should operate there's a tendency for governments and any large bureaucracy, actually, that survives for any length of time, um, <clears throat> to become a self-standing, um, a self-standing institution. In other words, if you look at large institutions like governments or corporations, they, over time, they'll develop a culture of their own, and among their members, among their employees, or what have you, um, <clears throat> there's a sense of loyalty to the institution uh, as against anything outside the institution. That this is a really creates a conflict of interest for governments because democratic governments at least are supposed to serve the interests of, of the public. But over time, um, they really serve interests uh, um, that are internal to the institution and if they do have any regard for any outside interests, those are special interests that happen to serve uh, some purpose at some particular time. So as far as I can, under, I, I understand it, governments don't, re- even democratic governments, <clears throat> don't really um, have a concept of serving a general public. 
Um, there are institutions that are self-referencing. Um, and this, this uh, self-referencing kind of culture that is evolved um, strengthens uh, the, the, the justification of for secrecy and clandestine operations. So Assange and WikiLeaks really stands against this. Uh, and you can then understand how governments, not just the U.S. government, but almost any government, right. would find uh, an operation like WikiLeaks to be very, mm. to be a threat yes. to their, um, <clears throat> to their own internal uh, survival, to yeah. bureaucracy and the, the survival of the institution or the government, and um, and find Assange um, uh, as an enemy, and I think um, yeah. the uh, <coughs> is it Pompeo, the the present uh, Secretary defense of uh, Secretary of Defense, has described WikiLeaks as a foreign, evil enemy intelligence agency or something like that. Mm -hmm. So we've got. So we've got this kind of <clears throat> competition, and um, and for Assange, what that really meant was that soon after he um, revealed um, many of the much of the evidence um, that uh, really showed the the um, criminal aspects of the Iraq invasion. Yes, um, uh, he was then. Um, framed, <laughs> actually, it, it seems that that's the best word. Mm. He was framed for for a sexual assault uh, with with the cooperation of the UK and Sweden. Um, this uh, charge has subsequently been dropped for lack of evidence. Oh, interesting. Um, hmm. However, while yeah. Did you want to break in? Well, sh sure. That's interesting that I did not know that the charge had been dropped. And, and it's good to, to remind yeah. people of, of, of what he did, what WikiLeaks actually did. I believe I saw some video that somehow was leaked to WikiLeaks from an American helicopter during the invasion of Iraq. Oh, uh, yeah. Murdering uh, people. The, murdering people in the street. Did that. That's right. Um, um, the... The present Chelsea Manning, yes, okay, mm -hmm. who who was Bradley, uh, who's now a lady and was previously a man. Right. Um, he's the one that's among the the information that he um, supplied to WikiLeaks, uh -huh. and it's the the present uh, <laughs> euphemism for that particular um, um, video is collateral murder. Yeah, you know. Which seems I hadn't heard that phrase before. That's a new one on me. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, but it's it, it does Clitoral it does sound fitting. Jeez. Anyway, um, the uh, the sexual assault charge never really um, um, could could hold uh, could could have been brought to court. I mean, it, uh -huh. it was just it was just trumped up, and there were and and they knew it, and and so, but it was enough to scare. Assange and his lawyers, uh, <clears throat> not because they thought that um, he would ever go to jail for this, right. but because they thought that once he was in the hands, say, of the Swedes, 
Swedes, uh, where this alleged assault took place in Sweden, they would simply give them to the Americans. Right. And also, he was in the UK at the time of the charge, was brought to, to court that Swedes asked the British to extradite him. Uh-huh. And he went and he went to court in the UK and was released on bail. But again, um, if he had not, if he had shown up for the court date, there was a real fear that he would simply be turned over to the Americans. So he jumped bail mm-hmm. and, uh, and went into the Ecuadorian embassy. And if he comes out of the embassy, he will be arrested for jumping bail. That's what the UK will get uh-huh. him on. Uh-huh. And then the assumption is that he'll be turned over to the Americans, uh-huh. who, of course, will, who will try him for some espionage kind of yeah. violation or something like that. If he lives, my goodness, we've seen, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I remember uh, ben- well, yeah. Benino Aquino stepping off the plane to face trial in, uh, in the Philippines. In the Philippines <laughs> and being shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, but it's, it's not funny. Fascinated. Oh, it's, it's not funny at all. No, it's not funny at all. No, if you, and um, I was just going to say, if you just tuned in, dear listener, Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive, and we're talking about an essential aspect of democracy—a real, challenging free press, ones that you know pushes the buttons, pushes the envelope. Our guest today is mm-hmm. Professor Lawrence Davidson, whose article in Counterpunch, great magazine. Uh, is titled Julian Assange and the Fate of Journalism. And I'm remembering you talking about institutional self-preservation. I saw the movie Snowden, very good movie, by the way. And there were a lot of people who were working with Edward Snowden who felt like, hey, you know, the institution, we have to protect the institution of the CIA. We can't reveal these secrets. And there was a lot of tension between Serving the country and, yeah. pre- and, and self-preservation, <clears throat> and it's certainly understandable. Well, what happens is that <clears throat> once, you're, uh, once you work in these, uh, in, in these positions, say in the CIA or the, or the State Department or a- any really government bureaucracy, you identify your, the, the, the interests of the in- of the institution with national interests. So you lose uh-huh. any perspective, really. So we, so protecting the CIA, for instance, is equivalent of protecting uh-huh. the United States. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's, the, that's what happens. So <clears throat> well, it's in any like, case... Uh, I was just going to ask uh, about uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, and he... I think somehow believes he is the United States. L'état c'est moi. You know, he really believes that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well, Donald, I, I find it fascinating that during the campaign, he cheered on Assange and WikiLeaks because it was digging up dirt on his opponent. Now his administration yeah. paints him as a dangerous traitor. What? <laughs> well, it, it's a total opportunism. I mean, actually, <laughs> I mean, you know, don't ask me what you've done for me today. You know, tomorrow, today. Or yesterday, what are you going to do for me today? Right. I mean, it, it's a totally opportunistic kind of position. And the key to understanding Donald Trump is that he's a man who cannot tell the difference right. between his own opinion and what might be real or unreal. 
<laughs> if he says it, it's real. And some people actually. That's right. Some people That's believe it. it. As long as it comes out his mouth. But he, so he was all for it before, and, and then he just flips on it. But it doesn't matter for him. Now, you've got to get a little historical cons, uh, context here. Uh, I got a quote from John Kennedy. I grew up in the 1950s, which, when it was widely understood that our government, which beat the Nazis, was the beacon of freedom for people around yeah. the world. And in 1960, we elected a president who reflected this dedication to a free press as a vital part of our American identity. A free press is essential to our identity. And I'm just going to take a minute or so. On April 27, 1961, President John F. Kennedy said the following words at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel before the American Newspaper Publishers Association. And I have saved this quote. He said, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there's, there's little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that is in my control, and no official of my administration, whether his rank was all, women, all men then, is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. There, that's the end of his quote. There are probably a number of reasons we have strayed so far from that clear sentiment. Y your thoughts on why have we strayed so well, far from that? You know, I mean, first of all, it's a, you know, it's a moving quote. But I think we really have to keep in mind that public pronouncements by leaders or politicians or what have you sometimes really do differ from the actual practical no, that's for uh, sure. ap application. <laughs> yeah. What we've, uh, including under John Kennedy, um, mm -hmm. what we've got here is a systems problem. Where, you know, like take Obama. Uh, Obama probably had plenty of, uh, of ideas and hopes and dreams about what he was going to do, um, you know, in various fields. But once you enter into the political system, okay, either the party system or the government itself, you get hemmed in, okay? You yeah. get hemmed in. Yeah. Um, and you find that your, your power, like, he, like Kennedy mentioned, to the extent of his ability to control things, isn't as great uh -huh. as you thought it was. Certainly uh -huh. Trump has found that out, okay? <laughs> so... I'll just give you an example, I, and I hope I'm not sort of bursting anybody's balloons here. But um, that's what the press is for. When, um, when John Kennedy okay. was um, was discussing the the possibility of the Bay of Pigs invasion, which originally was taken up by Eisenhower, but he Kennedy inherited it. Uh, one of the goals uh, when Kennedy decided to uh, initially decided to support this, um, one of the goals was that the invasion 
should take place in a way that would hide the CIA training and organizing and funding role. That's true. Okay? Uh-huh. So, because we know that uh, um, there was an historian in the cabinet, um, Schlesinger was oh, his yes. name, and he said to Kennedy, he said, you know, this is really going to destroy the image, uh, you know, that your, your administration um, has created a, an Im- you know an image for youth and vibrance and renewal and all that. And Kennedy uh, had said to him, "Well, we're going to do this, so nobody knows that we were involved." Mm. And of course, that became impossible, particularly when the invasion failed and and the uh, and what the Cubans and the CIA wanted was air support. Kennedy said no. Um, so, you see, I mean, sometimes it, the, even with the best intentions, and I, I, and I'm sure that Kennedy meant what he's told the crowd at the Waldorf. Even with the best intentions, you get caught in these circumstances, yeah. these situations, which really. Um, test your 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 principles um so yeah yeah i'm sure it's true that even with the best and i imagine obama had as some an ideal yeah right an ideal as an ideal as yeah. an ideal it's you know a free press and and the public's right to know is the model it's the goal that we should aim at and we should judge people's behavior by that model okay but actually when it, actually if you if you look at how journalists are are trained in journalism schools they set that kind of ideal so um, what they'll tell you in journalism school is look you should be hard hard hitting you should be you should dig facts up you should tell the truth you should be brave in doing this. And so journalists come out of school, or some of them, with this idea yeah. that, that, you know, that they're going to be um, investigatory uh, journalists and they're going to tell the public the truth. And then, of course, they go to, they go to work. Yeah. And who do they work for? They work for bureaucracies. They work for corporations. They work for uh, systems-oriented, you know, it's interesting that, that that we sort of we do praise uh, 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 whistleblowers over the years. I mean, certainly Dan Ellsberg, uh, John Dean. Um, there were well, you a, and I praised. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> there was the Spotlight Team in the Boston Globe. There was a movie made about them. You know, when they got the uh, uh, the Roman I, Catholic Church. Uh, you know, about the sex abuse stuff. And of course, right. the Washington Post and Watergate, and more recently, there's a, there's a current movie out, Shock and Awe, about a reporter who bravely, working for Reuters, uh, revealed that there were no weapons of mass destruction. So there's that right. sort of fame dangled out there, but then there's the reality: how often does that happen? How, you know, I, the, the people yeah. oftentimes that we don't hear about, they were the whistleblowers. You know, lose their jobs, and uh, they have they have families. That's right. I mean, the, the, yeah. I mean, uh, it's not that there aren't brave reporters, right, and whistleblowers out there, 
but they often stand alone and they often suffer. And uh, yes. not all that they sometimes they succeed, but um, they are seen by the institutions as enemies. Um, and so, you know, you go to work for uh, uh, the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever, or NBC, CBS, and God forbid Fox. <laughs> I mean, these these in, these news outlets have cultivated particular um, audiences. And so you are then expected to uh-huh. write your, your, your reporting yeah. um, to, to that audience, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going to upset that audience in, in, in some way, um, you're, not, you're not a team player, if you will. Yeah, that's <laughs> and a, whistleblowers yeah. are usually people who have been prevented from telling what they consider to be uh, accurate stories by publishers or editors or what have you. Um, however, and, and you know, there is an issue that I bring up in this article, <clears throat> and that is just how. Um, invested is the public, the readership, um, what have you, mm-hmm. in getting in getting these stories and getting you know right. Then good question the the, the truth, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, after the fact, retrospectively, I mean it's easier yeah. to yeah. say, oh yeah, to this Reuters re- uh, reporter um, was very brave and whatever. But that's, you know, way after the fact. At the time, yeah. you know, he would be he would have been seen as a, a variant on Assange. Um, anyway, I think, thinking about this, <coughs> it seems to me that the public, and we're speaking here very generally, okay? Of course. Not that there aren't a zillion exceptions, but that the public generally isn't interested in fact-checked news. What they're interested in is news that confirms but, prior held right. opinions. Right. See? Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're um, a, a conservative sort of fellow and, you know, fourth-generation Republican or whatever, you know, you're going to orient yourself towards a news outlet that's going to reinforce that kind of worldview. And just so if you're, you know, a liberal Democrat or whatever. So um, I think what we're dealing here with is confirmation bias rather than the hunting for truth. Um, And I I don't think it's unusual. I think we all do it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't go out of my way to listen to Fox News, that's for sure. though I kind of pay attention to what the that end of the spectrum is saying. Um, but generally speaking, you know, people want, want to hear something that's going to confirm their um, their prior point of view. Well, I think it's interesting that, think, that one of the reasons that, that Trump became the Republican nominee is because it was very entertaining. And the news business is a business. They you know, like to keep their advertisers happy. That's where their money comes mm-hmm. from. And he was 
if I suppose he still might be, very entertaining. Well, I don't know. But uh, that whole theatrical aspect of it and grabbing the attention. Yeah. And for example, the, the whole uh, allegation of, of, uh, of uh, sexual assault by Assange, that's, you know, how many people know that that charge has been dropped? Probably very, very few. It's been, you know... No, it, it's it, not been reported. Right. Really. It's, it, it stains yeah. him, though, and people just remember that. They grab, you know, with, with the media these days, everything's so quick, you know, 24 hours. I think maybe it's, it's harder now. One might think that, that with the 24-7 news cycle that facts are more interesting and matter more, but maybe they don't because you have to grab the people's attention. There has to be drama in there. And Yeah, they certainly, they certainly did give Trump a whole lot of publicity, oh, good and yeah, bad, yeah. Um, all the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and they also played up his lies. I mean, they, they weren't very discriminatory about a- analyzing what he said. So, um, um, <coughs> so when he called, you know, Hillary Clinton, um, um, I don't know. He called her various names. Yes, he did. That, that was reported, and it wasn't. You know, nobody said, "Hey, wait, are these accurate or anything?" I mean, so you go, right. you go to his, uh, you go to his uh, rallies today, and they're still chanting, "You know, put her in jail." Right, crooked Hillary. I know it's amazing yeah. those those simple things. It's so much easier. Than thinking, just to uh, to grab onto yeah. these quick, quick things, and it's well, he, yeah. he is Trump is definitely um, has fascistic tendencies. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? that's being very so polite. I, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he even looks like Mussolini. What can I say? Well, I believe it was Mussolini who made up the term fake news to describe things that he didn't it, like. What? Wow. I believe it. I'm I not I'm not certain of that. Check it out. Facts are important, folks. You know, if if I'm wrong, let me yeah. know. I would appreciate that. Now, if if yeah. a, if Assange is evicted from the Ecuadorian embassy, what mm-hmm. what would he be expected to face in the American system of justice? What would happen to him then? What is, what, um, what is on his mind about yeah. this stuff? Well, I think, you know, he would be taken into custody by the British police who surround that embassy, actually, at the moment, um, and held for extradition to the United States. At that point, the United States would have to uh, essentially uh, charge him with something. Um, By the way, he's never been charged with anything. Ah, interesting. You know... (laughs) Uh, it, I mean, the allegation has been uh, the allegation was of, of sexual assault, right. but they never had the evidence to actually bring a charge. What the Swedes wanted was he should come back to Sweden to give person-to-person testimony, um, and he said no because you're just going to turn me over to the Americans. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so he's never been actually charged officially um and so uh, and if he was now in british hands the americans would have to actually figure out a charge and there are several actual 
you know, espionage kind of um, violations that could be, you know, suggested along those lines. So they'll come up with something, and they'll try to extradite him. His lawyers will fight it. But at some point, mm-hmm. you know, we can probably assume yeah. that he'll be sent to the United States, whereupon he will be put on trial for you know, violating whatever espionage clause we got, our law. And if he is found guilty, he will be put away for <clears throat> 50 years. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Until we get a uh, president who maybe will pardon him. Nah. I mean, that's what happened with Manning. Oh, true. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. We did have that president who pardoned Manning. That's good to remember. Yeah. Who dared yeah. to tell the truth and reveal the dirty little secrets. Uh, yeah. Now, Manning's mistake was that he told someone. He told a, f- a fellow um, blogger or, or a, a, a fellow friend on a computer expert uh-huh. <clears throat> what he had done and that guy squealed on him and that guy turned him oh, turned him in uh-huh. and so if any of you your uh <clears throat> listeners are going to be a a, a um whistleblower yeah. i would recommend not telling anybody <laughs> you know because you can't trust anybody else. I forget who said the quote, two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what about the uh, the allegation? You know, there's the image sexual assault. There's also the image that's been hung out there that he was working with the Russians. What, what do we know about oh, right, that? Right, 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 right. Well, <clears throat> he... Um, First of all, I want to say that WikiLeaks has made public um, hundred, well, tens of thousands of documents concerning Russia, and particularly Russian, the Russian invasion of Afghanistan and, and Russian relations with the Ukraine and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's not that WikiLeaks has not dealt equitably, if you want to put it that way, uh, with Russian evidence, with evidence about Russian misdeeds, um, activities, any more or less than with American activities. However, and this is, this is my interpretation of how things worked. When we, when we had the, um, the, uh, presidential campaign between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, <clears throat> there was a documentary trail, a documentary, um, um, yeah, I guess it, it was a trail. There were documents about Hillary Clinton and her behavior and pol- and the policies she pushed as Secretary of State. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if somebody wanted to leak those documents to WikiLeaks, they were there and they could be leaked. And they were. And it showed uh, her in very bad light, yes, particularly in, in terms of Libya and, yes. and Syria and, and elsewhere. Okay? 
Deservedly uh, so. However, we didn't have the same pool of documentary evidence for Trump. So there wasn't there wasn't the the sort of deep um, evidentiary um, revelations that you can make about this guy, uh, at least in the same regard as you could do with Hillary. So I think there were just the evidence was there for Hillary. Now, I think also that (coughs) Assange and a lot of other people, including me, felt that. Clinton, you know, had done some pretty horrible stuff. Absolutely, um, yes. And uh, and deserved for yes. that evidence to be made public. Yes. Now you could now on the other side, you could say, okay, where did he get that evidence? Was was it leaked to him by Russian hackers? Maybe. But the point is that, as far as WikiLeaks is concerned, the motivation of the leaker isn't an issue. Exactly. What's an issue is, are these vetted documents? Are the documents accurate? Are they real? I mean, you've got to make sure that they're vetted. And if you come to the conclusion that they're real, where you got them from is not, is not an important issue, at least to WikiLeaks. Okay? That's a good point. But it does, of course, open them to, uh, to an interpretation that they were somehow in league with the Russians. I don't believe that they were they were in league with the Russians, though they might have gotten some evidence from that direction. Right now, there's another argument that's often made, <clears throat> most notably by my wife. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so uh, that is <clears throat> that Trump was uh, as a can- as a candidate was a uh, a candidate that was remarkably revealing and remarkably honest about what he wanted to do all right uh-huh. um and so he talked about people like that you know yeah. immigration and the wall around with mexico <clears throat> and leaving the climate um agreement treaty yeah. and and leaving the treaty with the iranians he talked about all that and and so my wife says assange had a responsibility if he was going to release documents that might or might affect the the elections and put trump in office he had it he had a responsibility to consider this the the, what he and everybody else should have known was coming down the line Mm. now you know okay i have to live with the woman so i (laughs) (laughs) well so i you know uh, but uh, but ultimately, I don't buy it. Frankly, I don't buy it. Now, I'm not married to your wife, obviously, and I think <laughs> uh, information. Let the facts stand on their own. You know right. what she did in Libya was not good. What she did in right. uh, Honduras was not good. People need to know That's these right. facts. They really do. And That's right. Facts are facts. Yeah, I would prefer. I would have preferred Hillary Clinton to Donald Trump. Yes, but the facts are the facts. That's what we got to talk about here. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I think, and I think that, um, I, it, you know, it's a difficult situation that WikiLeaks was put into. But I ultimately agree with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, if we had 
okay, if we had brought Hillary Clinton to the White House, we wouldn't have the same situation we have now with Trump and, and the immigration and all that kind of stuff. But we'd have different problems, you know, different horror stories. Um, oh, for sure. So it's a really, it's a hard call, but I, you know, I disagree with uh, my wife and I agree with you. <laughs> So what can I say? And we've never even met. It's true. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Live. And it's important to have a free press, a press that pushes the envelope and that tells the truth. Our guest today is Professor Lawrence Davidson, who has written an article, Julian Assange and the Fate of Journalism. Uh, you know, I, I think journalism is extremely important. And back when there were just... Three national outlets for TV news, ABC, NBC, and CBS, showing my age. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, the news was generally seen as independent of political pressure. The outstanding example was Walter Cronkite, who was, as you may recall, the most trusted man in America. That's, that's the reputation he had. He was known as that. Now we have many within the scope of mainstream media, which are far less independent, of, as you observe, the result is most often manipulated reports aimed at fitting the particular outlook of a particular of the particular media operations target audience. Now, how does this now well-established new reality affect genuine journalism and its fate? The fate of journalism from here on right. out. <clears throat> well, it, it 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 first of all it it limits the amount of investigatory kind of uh, reporting that any particular yeah. individual can do, it limits it to the <clears throat> decision-making of publishers and owners and, and the question, how does it impact our, uh, our audience, our dis defined audience, and also how does it impact my, if we're talking about an owner, or publisher, my relationship with government officials, right. because it you, you know they are sources, tied so. in, yeah, and so so it's a li limiting. And again, most I might have mentioned this: most investigatory reporting now goes on at a very local level. Huh. So if you you know, there, it's one thing to to say, okay, the city council or the mayor is corrupt. Um, it's another thing. It's harder to say, you know, that the president is corrupt. I mean, the, so so most investigatory reporting goes on at very local levels, not national level. Um, Interesting. Now there are exceptions, but that's generally how it's broken down. Um, and so, uh, journalists are captive to their their institutions to the institution they work for and the decision-making of the people who run that institution. I'll give you another example. <clears throat> and this is one that I, you know, I feel a particular, um, um, a particular closeness to because of the, my, my dealings with the Middle East. And that is, you you know up until very very recently you could not get um reporting 
that gave you, say, the Palestinian side right. um, of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Right. It just wasn't there. Right. Okay, that uh, Zionists essentially had a monopoly on that storyline. Mm-hmm. Now that monopoly is not as secure and, and as as a hundred percent as it used to be, but still, um, it's difficult if you want to find out, you know, the story, um, you know, about what's really going on in Gaza. You're not going to get it from the American press. You know, you're going to have to dig it out, and most people. You know, aren't that interested in and what have you. So, um, so there are areas that there there are whole areas of uh, of what's going on in the world that um, that just are, are are not covered. Even if that mm. particular area has has a lot to do with U.S. national interest, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, so and I so I, there's the censorship. I mean there's. Well, it's often self-censorship, too. I mean, just uh, people lack the courage, I think. You know, a lot of people say, where are the investigative journalists? We like investigative journalists. How, you know, what's Mm -hmm. the deal? Are they lazy? And you write, I imagine publishers, editors, and media moguls, and the vast majority of those they employ, just don't have the courage to support the individual who breaks some unprincipled law or regulation designed to enforce silence in relation to official crimes and hypocrisy. Now, the ACLU, since Trump got elected, has achieved tremendous new stature as the guardian of our traditional freedoms, thanks to the anti-democratic authoritarian policies of the orange one. Is there a way out of this serious assault on freedom of the press? Are average Americans starting to get it, do you think? I I have my doubts, quite frankly. What do you think? No, I don't... You know, uh, traditionally, what Americans do... in these sort of situations is they just go local. In other words, right. The average American, and I don't, and again, I don't think it's just American, but the average person is really interested in what impacts their life, which is essentially translated geographically into about 30 square miles. You know, Uh, so it's safer. They're interested yeah, they're interested in their family. They're interested in their school system, in the local, maybe the local government, their their religious institutions, this sort of thing. They're interested in that, but if they're if they're they feel a certain um, um, distance or alienation from the behavior, what they perceive to be the behavior of state or national politicians, and this, they'll just. Uh, opt out of the system, if you will. Mm. That's why, if you look at the numbers for national, uh, for presidential elections, they're so, you know, they're embarrassingly low. Yes. Well, we had... <laughs> you can get 40 or 40% of the population staying home. I mean, yeah. so, you know, it's hard to know. I mean, it's, that it's not an issue. Freedom of the press is not an issue. It's going to cause the next American revolution. I mean, I, I don't think so. Well, I think you're right. I mean, they, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're right. And I, 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 I think you know people say they want more investigative, hard-hitting journalists, but I don't, I don't think that's you know people say one thing and then yeah. do something else. I mean, you look at what happened in 2003 with the 
uh, alleged journalism that, that in the lead up and coverage of the war in Iraq that Bush did. Right. As you say, there was an atmosphere of patriotic fervor. I was shocked. I mean, it was just there was no journalism. It was just everybody going along and, and uh, you know, right. p- taking part of this. I wonder if that radical shift away from independent journalism was the boilerplate of, of what was to come. I mean, what do you make of that whole well, situation? Yeah, I think that set that, that, um, that a precedent. Um, Unfortunately. And, um, and it would be interesting to... <clears throat> to see if it's a, if that thing, if that whole um, patriotic fervor business, based on false false information, um, right. could essentially re- replicate itself uh, mm. so soon. Mm. Um, but it did set a precedent, and um, Trump obviously tries to recreate this business, um, you know, in a sort of half-assed way i mean he says essentially that if it's if it's not to my liking right then it's false right um and how 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 many people are going to accept that mm. um I that don't know. will be a test i think of just how um you know dedicated the american people are to 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 react to real stuff. Yeah. So if if enough Americans, for instance, get really tired and and fearful of this sort of distortion and manipulation on the part of the president, <clears throat> we should sh- see them not staying home, which you know well, we'll they see. tend to do sometimes, but going out and and voting the guy out of office. The traditional thing when you're disgusted with politics is to stay home. Right. Just but shut it out. If this if this is uh if this whole issue of information distortion is uh, is frightening enough to enough people, they'll go out and they'll vote the guy out of office or his party. <clears throat> you know? Well we will see I think, Go ahead. Yeah. Well I, I just to get off topic a bit very briefly I think that there is a crisis amongst moderate Republicans. I mean, mm, true. Um, I would hope so. Of people out there who have traditionally described themselves as moderate Republicans, and they've just lost their home, mm. their political home. And what will they do? Will they stay home in the in the November elections? Or will they have the gumption to go out and vote for a Democrat? Um, it's, I, I think that there's a lot of soul-searching going yeah. on there. Well, I think it's fascinating that, you know, one thing the world knows about America is that we, we uh, put the idea of a free market on a pedestal. And mm. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, a great one, came up with the phrase about the press as being a marketplace of ideas. I wonder if it is still. How tenuous really are the individual rights, including press freedom and speech, which are vital to the natural, innate yearning for liberty of cognition and freedom from government censorship? Do we, is journalism, you know, exempt from the uh, free market? 
uh, you know, the marketplace of ideas, is that still something real, or is it just a nice um, thing in our history? Just, just, yeah, I mean, it's not exempt, I don't think. But, I mean, just keep in mind that the government is maybe the chief censor, but it's not the only censor. Ah, true. Okay? Yeah. Once, <clears throat> once a, a, a journalistic business manages to uh, carve out for itself a designated audience, then meeting the expectations of that audience is oh. going to be the censor. Okay? That's an but interesting point. Get, yeah, yeah you can't get... Um, well, it's very rare that you would then get somebody who criticizes uh, Donald Trump, um, you know, working for Fox. But it it's rare. I think yeah. once it did happen, I, but, yeah, it um, I don't remember. But that's another, another avenue of censorship. Absolutely. And I wonder if there are any liberal politicians who are standing up to this. I mean, they always, all sides, put their finger to the wind. And, and I don't, yeah. I, I haven't seen very many standing up for freedom of the <laughs> no, press. I, I, right. I mean, it's, you know, it's a it's a systems issue, and yeah. yes. and the Democrats are have their own problems in terms of system <laughs> as a party. So um, yeah, it's all around us. I got one one last thing, you know, and, and good old Rudy, Rudy Giuliani. He's being paid by Trump for what he's doing to Trump. It amazes me. But you know, when he said <laughs> when he said that truth isn't truth. It's been speculated yeah. that, that Trump's virulent anti-press campaign could lead to silencing of the truth. How great is the danger that, as you write, truth itself may become outside the mainstream? That is really chilling. Truth itself may become outside the mainstream. Yeah, I, well, I think to a certain extent it already is. I mean, again, <clears throat> if, you, if you only seek out reinforcement of your present ideas— then you're really not interested in <clears throat> thinking critically about things. You just want to hear what you want to hear. <clears throat> and that's what journalism in its modern form is feeding into. And so, um, so what Giuliani was saying, he was like, he was, it's Giuliani the postmodernist. He's saying everything is relative. Um, and of course, that's not true. That's no, not true. It's not. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, truth, truth, is the, truth is the first victim of yes. conflict. Yes. And we're, we are conflicted. Yeah, it's a very scary situation here. And, I, you know, I, there's so many things going on, different shiny objects. I don't see freedom of the press <laughs> and standing up for investigative journalists is, is standing out, unfortunately. I care about it. I guess the sense you care about it. And if people are interested yeah. in, in this issue, they can keep reading Counterpunch, which I highly recommend. Any other particular websites you can point people to or putting pressure on their members of Congress? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to know uh, my take on the world, yeah. it's, uh, it's www.tothepointanalyses.com. And analyses here is plural, so it's S E S. It ends in S E S. Gotcha. Dot com. To the point analyses dot com. 
Thank you so much, yeah. Professor Lawrence Davidson. Sure. And uh, let's hope we can uh, restore uh, journalism. And uh, these yeah. guys won't have well, to stand alone. It's so an, much. It's, we're on the case. We're on the case. We're on the case. Yes, we are. Thank you so much. It's good to be working with you. It takes okay. a lot of lifting All to right. keep democracy Thank alive. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. But I made them change my mind.